0: Well, especially the best bit about was that
1: Andy Hopkins didn't
0: even bother turning up as well. Well, it's, um, to, in, in his defence, he is elderly and there's a pandemic. I don't think he could travel.
1: Yeah, he could have stayed up. It's only 4 am. He could have stayed up. <laughs> <laughs> he, must, he, mu- he must have a house in there, like. Rob,
0: I mean, I'm not, sh- you're not saying that. I don't know where he lives. I've just know on Twitter he the weirdest person
1: ever. Ponty Prid, I
0: think. Oh, really? I don't know. Just Fuck, up fucking Ponty.
1: Just, it was just the first Welsh place that came into my head.
0: And you didn't pick one you knew you could pronounce. Yep. <laughs> Where I can't goes? pronounce
1: anything in uh, Welsh.
0: It was in Malibu. Oh, but he has been back in Wales. Sends message from Wales. Yeah, so he is in Wales. Imagine if he is in Ponty. You know what? This doesn't matter right now. Should we go into it? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Inse- instead of playing our international uh, game of where's Anthony?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a classic. It is a classic game. I'm going to work on the. Uh, it's going to be my Kickstarter project. Where is Anthony Hopkins? It's a card-based game for three to five players. Okay,
1: loosely based on Where's Wally. Well,
0: no, actually, it's loosely based on Secret Hitler.
1: Are you say? Are you accusing um, Anthony Hopkins of being a Nazi sympathizer? No, no.
0: So, so someone there is a secret Anthony Hopkins, right? In the in the circle and the the people need to figure out who who is anthony hopkins and who isn't anthony hopkins
1: which anthony hopkins any or like it's going to be like exploding
0: kittens there's going to be a number of different anthony hopkinses there could be okay so Silence the lambs anthony hopkins missing the oscars anthony hopkins (laughs) lots of stuff is Odin. this like the podcast equivalent of stretching? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Cause it's it's all stuff that's not gonna be able to randomly cut in.
1: Well, you might have a nice you might have a nice intro, like cold open bit about where in the world is Anthony Hopkins. Um, oh, true, about. true. <laughs> you guys are making a podcast.
2: for this
0: welcome to the podcast nobody asked for with me ian Harris. and me and graham Jones. and this week we are talking about exciting films about boring mm. things so uh see what he did there i like nice, that that's nice. little sound effect for you but it's good i'll reuse that and just kind of have it at, like regular intervals in the background yeah no but... expense spared as well <laughs> but it turns out You don't need to make films on exciting subjects. There are plenty which are
1: dull as fuck. But it takes a a special film to take something that is an extremely dull subject and make it quite interesting. And actually, in looking at these, there seem to be a couple of threads that seem quite common where people seem to be able to make that work.
0: Yeah, and and also, depending how you phrase things, any film can seem to be about a boring subject. So uh, my partner bought up the Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which, regardless of whether it's backwards or not, is just about someone growing up. Yeah, Lord of the Rings is just man throws secondhand jewellery away. <laughs> is that's not that's not three
1: films worth of material? Surely it is. I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose it is. I mean, Peter, Peter Peter Jackson could stretch my I don't know my morning crap into three films chunks, if you will. <laughs>
0: So this 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 got me thinking in a uh very self referential moment. What what's the most boring things you're into? Because um I I asked my partner this today of hey babe, what's the most boring thing I'm into? And her response was after no thought at all NFL, rugby, sport in general, horrific metal versions of songs that are better before they did them, tattoos of a culture you can't sing the anthem of, and not cleaning. So that's
1: that was my day. How, how is how being into not cleaning is boring? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I had some politics. I guess is pretty boring. I mean, it's kind of there's kind of a lot going been a lot going on recently, but that's fairly boring. I mean, if if we let let let, let I, I I think boring can sometimes be
0: the level you are into things.
1: Yeah, I suppose so.
0: But I don't think there's anything boring about the fact Justin Jefferson averaged 15.9 yards perception last year. <laughs> uh, Dalvin Cook managed to hit 1,557 yards and five yards a carry over 14 games, which is fucking mental. Basically, averaging over a touchdown a game. See, it, it's exciting shit.
1: Nobody's bored at all. No, I mean. Derek Henry hitting 2000 yards with over 200 to get in his last game before the season well, season closer.
0: Well, Derek Henry had as many 200-yard, two touchdown performances this season as any player has ever had in their career. Right. So we've so, lost everyone now. So we've lost it. Yeah, see? It's boring. <laughs> boring is an interesting interesting subject ironically. But yeah, and obviously I'm big into my
1: Napoleonic era naval and military history, which, you know, All the parties love. So, uh, I see what you mean about reusing that yawn snippet. Yeah. Yeah. I once got told to stop bringing up an anecdote at parties. Right.
0: Because I went through a phase of whenever I was at a party talking to people, the only things I would talk about were the fact that there was an immortal species of jellyfish that had been discovered. So, it was clogging up, like, Japanese shipping routes, And basically, if it got injured, it would revert back to, like, a baby. So it'd be like if you broke your arm, you would then just revert to a baby, but then grow as normal from a baby. So you would just kind of start again. I mean, that that can just kind of go indefinitely.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. Seals. Seals like to eat jellyfish. Maybe they just need some more seals. Maybe. So what we need to do is introduce seals into Japanese shipping routes. You hear it.
0: (laughs) You heard it here first. But, but
1: yeah, (laughs) it was a... Geopolitical, ocean-saving podcast that you have tuned into this week. (laughs) It's the way forward. But I I, I do strongly, like,
0: I, I did struggle to think of boring stuff I was into, which obviously means everything I'm into is boring. Yeah. 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 But, you know, like, I don't know, say once a week finding time to research and record something of us talking through six different movies and ranking
1: them because we just kind of want to well and in the same in the same vein as we we spoke about last week as um as many have said ranking art is folly because it's subjective yeah. a wise um, yeah, podcaster once said yeah yeah we do that every week in a myriad of different ways that are mostly ridiculous <laughs> Well, I was I was really pleased with myself because after thirty plus hours,
0: I'd finished a game where I was the captain of a fictional submarine I'd built. So, we are exciting people, but before we we overexcite everyone too much, shall we just go into our movie recommendation?
1: Nobody asked for. I think we should. Yeah, we should.
0: I, I believe this week,
1: it is yours. It is. So normally with this, we'll like try and flip it on its head a little bit so or have it related in some way so i was thinking initially well what's a boring movie about something really exciting but actually that's a really terrible recommendation to go and tell you to go watch a boring movie what is the most boring movie you've watched oh tree of life was pretty boring because it was just like lots of shots of pretty pictures and, and brad pitt twirling around every now and then 2012 was quite boring No, not 2012. Sorry, day after tomorrow. I found day after tomorrow very dull. That was that was the the Jake Gyllenhaal one. Yes. Yeah. I've 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 blocked it from (laughs) my memory. Eh. (laughs) And Avatar as well. Avatar was boring.
0: Yeah, that's right. I know my cousin um, thought Castaway was boring because, and I quote, "Not a lot happened," (laughs) which is kind of the point of the film.
1: I wasn't a fan of Boyhood.
0: I don't care if it took you 16 years to make a film. It was boring.
1: Yeah, I, I I never watched it because it never really It's like yeah, okay. You you just got a you just got a long contract and basically like worked a couple of weeks a year. Can you imagine being the director though? And like just worrying that the
0: kid you've picked isn't gonna want to be an actor or grows up to be a shit actor. Just or or
1: is like ends up being like a problem child. Yeah, just oh god.
0: <laughs>
1: but I digress. So you yes. can't
0: you're not gonna pick a boring movie.
1: No, I'm not going to pick a boring movie. I'm going to go for a movie that I don't think could any portion of it could be described at all as boring. And that movie is 2011's The Raid, directed by Gareth Evans, written by Gareth Evans. It is just... It is non-stop, balls-to-the-wall action... It's it's just nuts. It's fucking amazing. Set in Indonesia, um, in Jakarta, and essentially the SWAT team has to fight their way up a building that is full of gangsters, and the SWAT team basically have like very limited ammunition against wave after wave of gangsters. And yeah, it's just one of the best, most fun action movies i've seen in a very very long time and i don't think i've seen much since that that can top it
0: i i do think it's it's definitely one of the best action movies ever made i i think it it just strips back everything and you don't really need anything explained
1: it's no. just so we're going to go from the ground floor to the penthouse sold yeah there's there's not a huge amount else it's very similar to dread right like dread is kind of operates on a similar Story, or the the skyscraper genre, like Die yeah. Hard, is quite similar as well. Yeah, that's that's all you need. But yeah. if you
0: if you aren't into um buildings, yeah, so big tall flats, they just kind of put you off of a film. Is there anything else you can think of people might enjoy?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you don't like big skyscrapers, maybe you want to get a bit more back to nature. Maybe stay in a hut or two, see some cows. Bears. Cow bears. Cow bears. Yeah. Cow bears. They're like like man bear pig. um... Cow bears. Are they, they, is it half and half or is it like a centaur thing? (laughs) Think of if you shaved a bear and it had udders. That's all I think about. (laughs) I mean, jokes aside, that's all I'm going to think about now because
0: that is a weird mental image. You are welcome. I implore Um, you, podcast listeners, do not turn your brain (laughs) to the idea of a shaved bear with others. What would the milk
1: taste? No, no, sorry, carry on. um, Oh, you've completely derailed my train of thought. Anyway. I I think you were about to recommend Midsummer, Graham. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, how how did you guess? Have you been at my notes again? Um, But yeah, if if you're not you don't want to, you don't want action you don't want fighting you don't want skyscrapers you want slow burning horrific horror that just is told brilliantly acted brilliantly looks beautiful midsummer uh, i don't know if we've mentioned it before we'll probably mention it again go watch midsummer ariaster florence Pugh, the dude from the good place it's yeah chef's kiss
0: and and most importantly it only ever really goes above the second floor once <laughs>
1: but right so that's
0: the i believe that is the intro section checklisted off so now yep. it is my my uh are
1: we are we talking through this in the most boring we're just, way we're as just well. talking
0: through it yeah so that's, that's the, the intro. introduction done over uh, with uh, yes uh, over uh, with and now we go transition music ian's first choice my first choice is from 2013 are there and any shaved bears? There are no shaved bears. There is a bearded man in a jumper. So the boring subject this film tackles is the drive from Birmingham to London. He goes M6 and M1 rather than the far superior M40, which I don't fully understand either. It's, it's kind of late That's... at night. That seems unnecessarily long. Yeah, right. But see what I mean? Like we're distinctly boring people because we actually have an opinion on this. <laughs> because the M40 late at night as well, it doesn't actually have, um, not that I'm suggesting anything, but it doesn't have speed cameras.
1: No, it's got some good service stations as well. Good service stations,
0: decent road. Not like the M25, which I had to go around at the weekend, which has that southern M25 sections. Feels like you've got a puncture. Yeah. Like, every single time, I, before I go in, it's like, right, Ian, you're going to feel like your car's falling apart. It's not the car, it's the road. And every single time, I
1: manage to convince myself my back right is fucked. But, speak, speaking of um, being being extra boring and motorways, what's your favourite service station? Favourite
0: service station is... Oh, God, you know what? That's actually quite a tough one. <laughs> um, growing up, there was a service station on the far side of the seven bridge that had a soft play area overlooking the river right that was great I always used to look forward to going to that when i was a kid more recently it is probably uh it's the service station before the seven bridge because it's where we stop off at whenever we're kind of heading down there so you kind of know that the car journey is nearly over was that the one with the uh where we got the chicken fries uh, yes King? Yeah. yeah it's a pretty like Cut and paste service station, but it, it's always on the way to a decent weekend. So I have fond memories. Solid. What about solid, yours? Solid choice.
1: Uh, big. I uh, quite like um, quite like Warwick Services. Uh Warwick, nice. Warwick Services. I'm I'm, I'm,
0: I'm more a lateral traveller than a north to south. <laughs> so a lot of my service stations are all. See, again, we have an opinion on this. A lot of my journeys go down the M4 or the M3. <laughs> okay. So I I, I
1: rarely. Ascend north of Watford, and also, not not to basically on our doorstep, Beaconsfield Services um, has quite it has a Nando's. Oh, really? And and a Weatherspoons. A Weatherspoons in the service station feels dangerous. Yeah, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of uproar when they put a Weatherspoons in the service nah. station. Nah, of course, there was. What's the anyway?
0: M six M one. What's the most uh, service stations you've uh, gone on? So. Not only does this film cover the drive from Birmingham to London down a less optimal route, unless he was going to distinctly North London, but even then, I would recommend the M M4, four uh, M forty. Is um, the fact that they also talk a lot about concrete? So this is Tooth and Thirteen's lock, which is basically, and by basically I mean literally. Tom Hardy in a car for an hour and a half, driving from Birmingham to London as shit hits the fan. That's the film. So, he plays a guy called Ivan, who Tom Hardy decides to play him Welsh. A, a better Welsh accent than Robert Downey Jr and his Razzie-nominated Welsh accent in Doolittle. But still not amazing. But if you ever thought you wanted to see Tom Hardy in a Welsh accent talk about concrete, Locke is the movie for you. So... Through the course of the film, he takes 36 phone calls. I'll can go. i go into more detail just in the spirit of being boring. So 13 are outgoing, 21 incoming, one ignored call and a voicemail. Um, and at least half the calls end with him being hung up on or him angrily hanging up on them. Um, which is tough to do when you're driving. Like you can't quite dramatically end a call when you're behind the wheel. No, it's just like a poke, isn't it? Yeah, but even then it's also like the awkward. Are they still there? Are they still there? No, we can. Mm-hmm. The cast is... The only person on camera is Tom Hardy. But people on the phone include... So, Olivia Colman is in it. Ruth Wilson. Tom Holland. Um, Alice Lowe. Andrew Scott. And the way they made the film was basically they put this... I think it was a BMW on the back of a truck. And they drove up and down the M6 for six days. They would film the film in its entirety twice per night. Just in a single Christ. take and they would have all the other actors basically in a conference room, and they would call Tom Hardy. And Tom fair Hardy enough. would be driving with his beard and, and a jumper, apparently, because it made him feel like he was the captain of a fishing ship. It'd be difficult
1: for him to drive without his beard, to be fair.
0: I will be, yeah, yeah, no, true, true. It's obviously... Tom Hardy seems to now be typecast as people in films who just drive from one point to another. Um, but this is a lot more dramatic than...
1: Mad Max Fury Road. But, well, but the other thing the, the the criticism I will levy at Mad Max Fury Road is why they didn't take the M forty as well.
0: Well exactly. Everyone knows if you're going to the Salt Flats, it's the M forty and now now,
1: a film set in a post apocalyptic service station. I mean right? it sounds I it's it's like a um Dawn of the Dead style mall invasion but in a service station and one of those service stations where you can where you've got the the bridge connecting the two either side ah so yeah we lost contact with the (laughs)
0: clocks the the clockwise (laughs) side of the service station weeks ago (laughs) but the only way to send a party there is to go up the road then round at the next junction and back down (laughs) yeah lock is like i i know we're kind of fucking around a bit but lock is legitimately like a very good film uh, like I said, given the sheer amount of concrete talk, it really holds your attention the entire time. Kind of like what we've talked about
1: before with Buried. I was going to say, it sounds like Buried in a car.
0: Yeah, pretty much. So the idea is that it's on the eve of the largest concrete pour in Europe ever. Brackets, apart from nuclear and military facilities. Close brackets. Tom Hardy is kind of like the project manager guy, and he's some, or the foreman or whatever, Um, he's supposed to be there to oversee all of this he's put a lot of work into it the concrete's going to be so heavy it like alters the water table and he gets weirdly poetic about it he's a married guy with kids Um, he finds out this woman he had a one night stand with is pregnant and is giving birth to his child and he decides to drive from birmingham where this job is to london because he doesn't want to be like his dad and absent so He's calling the woman, his family are calling him, wondering where he is, and it's him dealing with the job fallout, family fallout, while trying to speak
1: this woman who's fathering his child. Yeah, fathering.
0: Fathering? Child? Mothering.
1: No. He's fathering. Fathering, yeah. So, um, did, does he, does he realise that she's pregnant when her water table breaks?
0: Uh, no, it's actually when um, she couldn't bear to talk about concrete anymore. He knew something was wrong. Um. But that was awful <laughs> even by even by our standards water I was table quite, breaks I was, I was quite proud of that one uh, well i mean maybe maybe you need to be saying it in like a bad welsh accent for it to have the full
1: lock effect but yeah it's it is a great film i was just trying to see if i could do a bad welsh accent and the only way i can kind of get a welsh accent is by saying the valleys, and then I can't then take that onwards to to water table concrete anyway no, it sounds no. fucking awful, like you had me a um you had me going up and down the motorway that that sounds boring, but the concrete stuff is yeah yeah, so I like... mean I get you know it's it's good when when movies can explore quite heavy subjects,
0: yeah. <laughs> but... Quite, quite, quite heavy, and by heavy you mean uh, 350 tons. Which, the, the, so the, the interesting thing with this film is not only does it talk about concrete a lot, which, and I just pulled up a quote that I would like to recite to you, uh, just to prove that I wasn't being over the top when I said he was being poetic about it. So, <clears throat> <clears throat> you do it for the air that will be displaced, and most of all, you do it for the fucking concrete, because it is delicate as blood. <laughs> Delicate as blood.
1: I'm not buying any of this. No.
0: Um, so not only do they talk about concrete a lot, but they also apparently get concrete wrong. So <laughs> they're talking about like 215 trucks worth of concrete. They're going to be entering this site and he's had to have like police close roads and stuff. And somebody on IMDB estimated that with what they were talking about, you'd probably only need about 20. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh wow, someone's someone's dropped the ball either in research or he's just not very good with concrete. Which I was going to say maybe
1: maybe that's the bit where all where all the shit hits the fan. He spent all the budget on an extra like two hundred trucks that he didn't need. Yeah, but
0: I mean, what what's even more boring than talking about concrete for an hour and a half? Somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about talking about concrete for an hour and a half. But like I said, it is really captivating. Like weirdly captivating. Um, I don't think there are many actors who could pull it off. Um, ironically, I think one of the people who could pull off that role is like Olivia Colman. Obviously, you wouldn't. She wouldn't be driving down because she got someone pregnant. But you could fit. You, you, never she say would, never. Yeah. True. But she she's the kind of person I think could hold your attention for an hour and a half with just shots of her. But a very deeply boring subject.
1: So okay. what's your favourite type of concrete, Graham? It needs, needs a good amount of ballast in it, I think. It's it's reminded me of, we're used to talking about someone talking for like an hour and a half about concrete, has reminded me of like, have you ever been at a, not necessarily a party so much, but like, a, probably like a work drinks thing, and just by sheer either table layout or like, how you've ended up in the bar you end up talking to the really really boring person and they will talk to you for an hour and a half about something like concrete and there is just no escape yes (laughs) um i have also
0: been i have also i i you probably have as well um with hindsight i have probably talked for an hour and a half at people (laughs) not
1: realizing that what i'm saying they don't care about I mean, we do that every week. Ian. yeah, it's how I sleep at <laughs> night. So my first boring choice. Um, we are delving into the world of finance. Nice. So this film follows the fallout of the well, not just the fallout, but also the the um, build up to and actual crash in two thousand eight with the financial crisis. God, I'm getting bored already. <laughs> and um and looks around the people who essentially predicted what was going to happen, but also the people that ignored what was going to happen and the people that made a lot of money off of it. So I'm of course talking about 2015's uh, The Big Short. So this is based on a book by Michael Lewis. And I think really it's, is it just like a textbook kind of thing? No, it's, it's, uh, I guess like a, a retelling of, of, the story. So similar to like a I guess like a investigative memoir kind of mm, okay. piece. I would compare it to another book, but You're about to cover my that, next aren't choice. Aren't <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, written by the exact same person. So, yeah, I think it is, it's very difficult to make an entertaining movie out of a financial crisis that heavy, heavily relies on the explanation of a number of complex financial instruments to the, that needs to be explained to the to the viewer to kind of get what's going on and also a financial crisis that had like it's difficult to make something entertaining for an event that had negative effects for most of the people watching it as well yeah but I think and that first point around like all of the the terms and financial instruments and stuff that you need to un- uh, understand actually is one of the ways that they make this quite entertaining because they do these really interesting set pieces around like describing these terms so you have a kind of cut away from the movie to margot robbie and a bubble bath drinking 20 year old dom perignon who explains i can't remember exactly what it is but oh about all of the like subprime loans um she goes into depth with you have anthony bourdain and his kitchen is restaurant selena gomez at a party yes
0: i could i couldn't remember i I couldn't remember the third one i can remember the first two
1: yeah and yeah just kind of cuts away from everything that's going on and they talk to camera and yeah just explain these very kind of borings and oftentimes overly complex subjects but in a way that kind of grabs your attention and definitely helps you understand what is going on it was a really yeah i think it's a really clever clever tool that they use to to liven up what is essentially reading out like a textbook version of of you know uh, subprime mortgages for example is it
0: tri- yeah all like the triple a stuff right? yeah so tri-
1: and... AAA a rated and stuffing like so it was all to do with um the stuffing these bonds were, were normally financed by mortgages but they had to be good mortgages and they were meant to be a 65% triple a rated and they were just selling giving mortgages to anyone which would mean the likelihood of them failing is very high i am less intriguing and endearing explaining this to you versus margot robbie in a bathtub that's what you get unfortunately you
0: should you should have that on your business card (laughs) <laughs> Graham
1: Jones, less endearing than Margot Robbie in a bubble bath. But she, uh, so apparently, the she was actually drinking um, real 20-year vintage Dom Perignon as, uh-huh. she, as she did it, which, uh, from my research, comes in about $280 a bottle.
0: I'd love if it was, I'm sure it must have, like, if it was you, I, you would come up with the idea, right? That's not going to be like a director thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? I feel like my character here should be drinking 20-year-old Dom Perignon.
1: For for authenticity, yeah, because she yeah. has the like butler guy come up and top yeah. her glass up while she's going as well. See, so, yeah, I think I think that's really good. And actually, I think it's probably a result. So it was directed by Adam McKay. And up to this point, do you know like what movies he directed before The Big Short? It's The Hangovers, right? And oh, no, Anchorman, Anchorman, Step, yeah. step no, Brothers. Uh,
0: uh, hangovers guy did The Joker.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, Anchorman, Step Brothers, and the other guys. So that is obviously the guy that you pick to do a movie about the financial crisis. Step Brothers. I'm going to say it now. Step Brothers has aged better than Anchorman. I haven't watched either recently, so I'd have to. I'd have to rewatch. Step
0: Brothers. I, I don't know if Anchorman was like overly mined for like quotes and stuff for so long that is kind of yeah.
1: detracted from it, kind of thing. It's still, it's still. Oh,
0: it's still, it's still crazy. amazing. But I, I, I used to think Anchorman was
1: the pinnacle of it all, and now I think Step Brothers was above it. I also worry if, um, I worry if Anchorman is tainted by Anchorman Two as well. Yeah, probably. That was a, that was a film that needed, uh, that's an episode for for a subject for another day. Films yep. that needed to be half an hour shorter. <laughs> Looking at you, Justice League. Interestingly. Um... He went on to then do Vice, and um, he's done an episode of Succession for HBO as well. So it's definitely got a wide wide range in his, uh, in his Vice, repertoire. Vice was very good. Um, it wasn't as yeah. good as The Big Short, but it was still a very good film. And yeah, I think one of the other things that really sticks out and really kind of brings this movie to life, and actually is based on what you were talking about in Locke, I think, is a thread that runs through a lot of these kind of movies about boring things that are actually made quite, you know, made into good films and that is being carried by a very very good cast. So you obviously had uh, Christian Bale in this who really stands out and I'm not a massive Christian Bale fan but he is he's great in this. I really wish Christian Bale wasn't as talented as he is. Yeah, like that's the thing. I think I think my issue with Christian Bell is like him as a person rather than him as an actor well, because actually, yeah, it's ever since that tape leaked, right? It's just yeah, like, yeah. oh, you're just a Bell That's yeah. a shame.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, maybe when he's in his eighties, you could also do a follow-up to "Where in the World Is Anthony Hopkins?" Um, just with with Christian Bell as another aging Welsh actor. We don't count him. <laughs> we've, we've, we've decided. Are you gonna take? You're gonna take uh Tom Hardy from Locke instead as an honorary Welsh, Welsh
0: Yeah, fan. I mean we were we were all set to
1: take Robert Downey Jr. and then the trailers <laughs> came out and we had to very quickly reverse the paperwork. But yeah, so Christian Bell's great in this um you've got Ryan Gosling, Steve Carell. Steve Carell who is so he apparently landed this based on his role in Foxcatcher. I don't know if you've seen Foxcatcher. No. Yeah. It is insanely good and the first time i ever saw steve crowe in like a, a dramatic role and brilliant
0: was that kind of channing
1: tatum's yeah.
0: first like
1: oh his first less media. dancey thing
0: i would say yeah probably that was, a, no, that was a very good film there's a great documentary on it as well but i can't remember where i saw it netflix probably i mean i don't really watch anything from anything
1: else grab Pitt's in it marissa to and to get all of those into star in a movie about finance, I think, is is the clever move, right? Is is your and you've also got those cameos that I mentioned before. So Anthony Bourdain, uh Selena Gomez and uh Margot Robbie. Who and, and a bubble bath. And a bubble bath. And also Margot Robbie who had auto-corrected in my notes to Maggot Robbie, which is a bit nice. unfortunate. That's gonna be my Slipknot tribute band. <laughs> it's Maggot Robbie. And I think the other thing as well is like there's there's an element of sort of being able to whilst it is quite a dry subject, as I mentioned before like it did affect so many people globally, so I think there's this there is an element of you know interest and in peeking behind the curtain to understand in more detail and depth what happened like to me seeing these people go through and make decisions that seem so Obviously ridiculous in like ignoring what was going on, and at the same time these other people who you kind of it's weird because you kind of like back them because they're the ones that are saying everything's terrible, but also by everything being terrible they are making millions and millions of dollars by shorting the um the the subprime mortgages, which is essentially yeah I guess make making money out of it, like. I say everyone's, but literally most of the Western world's misery. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, and I think I, I'm also going to assume that we're we're going to get some sort of spiritual sequel in the not too distant future that looks at like all of the shorting of the GameStop stock that happened <laughs> uh, recently. But I do think that is a bit more interesting because whilst yes, it's entrenched in financial language and and financial instruments, um. There's like the whole people power sticking it to Wall Street kind of thing that that's that's probably quite uh quite an interesting take. Yeah,
0: but also like I, I'm not I'm not ashamed to say that the main reason I understood what was happening with the GameStop stuff is because of the big short.
1: Oh, absolutely!
0: <laughs> like <laughs> it's a depressing amount of my financial and economic knowledge has come from a <laughs> movie. Yeah, and just Anthony. But yeah, I want more things to be taught to me from.
1: Like a video of Anthony Bourdain in a kitchen. Yeah. Watch Parts Unknown. Parts Unknown is great. Oh, Parts Unknown is amazing. The guy had no fear. <laughs> He's
0: fucking... He, he was brilliant. Yeah. Um. Obviously, the only problem with it is n- knowing how his life ended, watching some episodes of Parts Unknown, there's a lot of red flags. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, oh, no, you weren't being quirky and edgy, were you? Like, ah. Uh. But it got me. um, I discovered parts unknown, depressingly close to the pandemic, because it really got me into like the. Oh, I want to go here. I want to go here. I want to do this. I want to go. Oh, wait, wait. (laughs) I have to stay inside for a year?
1: Yeah. The uh, looking at all of your known parts. (laughs) Yeah, let's finish it there
0: okay so from 2013 and concrete we are now going to 2014 so the boring subject here which i think is so niche it will immediately give away the film is jazz drumming yep or more specifically the process of learning jazz drumming so i'm of course talking about whiplash
1: which to be fair if tom hardy have had a crash in lock he would have also had
0: yeah that would be the that would Yep. In the Tom Hardy drives down the wrong motorway trilogy, it'll be like it, one of them will be he's driving back home to Wales and he decides to go down the A40. Yeah, that's a niche road joke. Um, see, because the A40 originally went from it was originally the London to Fishguard like trunk road, um, but obviously then they built the M4 and they connected things that way, so you no longer have to go down the A40, you can go down the M4. So I'm saying it's a redundant, uh, redundant journey method. Anyway, Whiplash. Whiplash. Um, So I... I, It's not that I think jazz is inherently boring. I like a lot of jazz people. Like Miles Davis, Louis Armstrong, John Coltrane, Kamasi Washington. Soul, though not as good as Wolf Walkers, was still a very good film. Um, I like the idea of it. I can listen to it. But if you try to explain to me how it works, I immediately glaze over. Like... I don't know whether it's because of like how far away the two circles of my knowledge and how jazz works are
1: I think like jazz is like the cycling of music, like people are either like, yeah, jazz, or they're like fucking into jazz, and jazz is everything, w- much like cycling,
0: yeah. Yeah, exactly. Every everyone either walks or has lycra.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there's no there's
0: no middle ground. But and as you can you've heard bands I've been in, I clearly don't know anything about musical theory. So it's just not accessible for me. And that's just jazz. If you couple in the idea of, like, I've learned guitar... You just,
1: sorry, you just really sounded like a late-night jazz. jazz host there. You were just like, that's just jazz.
0: That's the... that's the, And that's just... Welcome to And That's Just Jazz with me, and Harrys. <laughs> and now we go to a 25-minute mute trumpet solo. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I like Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa's jazz. I've seen Zappa play Zappa. But I've also learned guitar. And learning guitar was a boring thing to do. Like, now I can play guitar, it's a lot more interesting. But the process of learning it was dull as fuck. And it's just a series of wrong steps. And that's it. So, the idea of a film which is about somebody learning and honing jazz drumming sounds dull as fuck. But Whiplash is phenomenal. J.K. Simmons plays uh, Fletcher, who's kind of like the band leader teacher at I think it's it's a fictional institute in New York. Anyway, I think it's called like the Schaefer Conservatory. He's the teacher. Miles Teller plays Neiman, who is the pupil, and it's about their dynamic. How overbearing J.K. Simmons is, and the idea is he's trying to make the next incredible jazz drummer, and it's just insanely toxic. JK Simmons arguably gives one of the best performances of like the last ten
1: years. Yeah, you you legitimately hate him.
0: He yeah, he he's but. he's one of those weird actors of like everyone knows who he is and everyone loves him, but I still feel like he's
1: underappreciated. To to the point where a lot of people mistake him for like um John Magovich. Exactly. But be and also, you know, the man who voiced the yellow M&M
0: deserves a lot more credit than that. <laughs> um it did win awards, uh, so Whiplash is an Oscar winner. So Best Supporting Actor was won by J.K. Simmons. It also won Best Film Editing and Best Sound Mixing, and it was nominated for Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay. Which, like like we said, like I, I think Oscars can kind of be used as a litmus test. So whether you agree with kind of their decisions or not, the fact that a film is in that discussion generally means it's something that should kind of be checked out. And in... In whiplash's case, I definitely think it deserved everything it got i've I've seen the film multiple times I've seen the last 10 minutes even more because I will regularly just check on YouTube the last um, 10 minutes I don't want to ruin it if for people who haven't watched the film, but the last kind of what I'm assuming you could kind of call is a confrontation <laughs> is just pure gold and yeah, but I still don't get jazz.
1: No, I've had, uh there was, I don't think the the pub does it anymore, but there was a, a small pub on, I think, Rupert Street um, called uh, The Blue Posts, and they used to do, I think it was on a Sunday afternoon, they used to have live jazz in there, and it's, it's a tiny pub, so you would, like, everyone was crammed in, like, the band was crammed in just next to the bar. You used to have the, like, saxophonist up on the walking along the bar playing and it was just like great fun drink perfect sunday afternoon but outside of that i don't think i've listened to much jazz at all really apart from the bits that ryan gosling goes on about in la la land and obviously whiplash i think i have caravan from whiplash which again is like nearly 10 minutes long right? it's like an eight minute song yeah
0: so the the last 10 minutes of whiplash is very caravan heavy yeah <laughs> um but yeah like I, I do like listening to to it so kamazi washington in particular is like he's a musical genius it's incredible but i wouldn't want to see him learn how to play everything and talk through how it works like i would struggle with a jazz documentary unless it was the history of jazz because that's my bag what about the the utah jazz uh yeah, not not really a fan of them either. No. I was always more of a insert basketball reference. Yeah. Yes. Yes. See? I I know I I I know it, I'm cool. I'm I'm hip. I'm down with the kids. Um the the Miami Heat? Yeah, well done. Yes. I was always more a Miami Heat <laughs> fan. <laughs>
1: Uh, no. Basketball. Who is your who is your favourite Miami Heat player? Just out of interest.
0: Um, you mean uh, my favourite player from the the NBA franchise, the Miami Heat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Obviously, obviously, <laughs> I'm not uh biding my time or anything like no. that. Um, well, obviously, my favourite player from them was uh, LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> who it was a power forward for um for them. Uh, obviously they, they had uh, Shaquille O'Neal there at some point um and Tim Hardaway and honourable mention Steve Smith. Um <laughs> I'm gonna stop this bit now. Um Oh and Dwayne Wade, obviously. Dwayne Wade, whoever Dwayne obviously. Wade. Is. Yeah. Um, whoever the phrase whoever Dwayne Wade is is going to really anger someone it will
1: anger quite a few people
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm very aware I've just overstepped a mark somewhere and I've lost us countless basketball fans it's not that I don't like basketball it's that I've consciously made the decision that I can't devote any more of my time to sport <laughs> I don't have the time to follow the sport I like let alone learning a new one that's not in the time zone I live with because not, given that we just talked about the banking and housing crisis, I don't want to sound a bit like poor me, but do you know how difficult it is being a fan of predominantly American sports when you
1: live in London? Well, the other issue with the NBA is there's like, there's too many games Oh to, God, to yeah. keep up with. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, yeah God, I, I wonder, you know, that's <laughs> a
0: conversation I, for some reason I wish we could come back to at some point today. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, the takeaway from Whiplash really is, it is... Arguably one of the best films made, like, I'll just leave it at that. It is one of the best films made. It's an incredible character study into um, kind of the pursuit of goals, um, what a teacher-student relationship should be and shouldn't be, and there's a lot of questions from it, and it's also a lot more open-ended than I think people give it credit for. Mm-hmm. because my takeaway from the film is a lot more... Or, I don't want to say a lot more negative, because that the implication there is I didn't like the film, even though I'm gushing about it. Um, a lot of people were very optimistic and hopeful by the end, and I had the exact opposite takeaway. I think it's a sad ending.
1: Yeah, I, 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 can, see, I can see it both ways.
0: Yeah, so um, like, I, I don't think it ruins the film, but light spoiler warning anyway, so skip forward. A minute or two but my takeaway from the end is that neiman's lost his humanity and has become exactly like fletcher
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and that's my takeaway was that that teaching method didn't work that even though he got the results it's at the cost of who he was and everything like that and other people watch the film thinking oh he's achieved what he wanted and as a distinctly negative man clearly we can't have good things and i don't (laughs) interpret it like that but Yeah, to me, the process of learning jazz drumming is a distinctly boring subject, but I can't stop watching the film. I watch it regularly. It's an exciting piece of cinema. It's an award-winning piece of cinema, and I would implore you all to watch it and maybe explain jazz to me.
1: And basketball.
0: And basketball. And uh, I'm just trying to think if there's any other sports. I don't have time to... uh really get into Mm. hold that thought ian (laughs) sorry that was that was a that was a great visual whiplash reference there Um, (laughs) it was translates perfectly to the pod
1: yeah everyone gets it they sensed it so my next choice talking of american sports that have far too many games i am going to talk about 2011's Moneyball. So Moneyball is obviously follows baseball, so not basketball.
0: You said you said that like Moneyball was the sport. <laughs> it's it, it's like a very like high class,
1: hundred percent capitalist thing. Well, it's, no, because unfortunately the European Super League got cancelled. So, hey. topical dance. Um, so, yeah, Moneyball is um, is a, has a focus on um, baseball and essentially the it, it follows the Oakland A's. So the Oakland A's are a, um, a Major League Baseball team. At the time uh, that this is set, which actually I can't remember off the top of my head um, when it was, I think it was sort of like the uh, ni- late 90s, early 2000s, perhaps. I may be wrong there. But they are... Arguably not, you know, not achieving particularly uh, a whole lot in Major League Baseball. And they also find themselves having the lowest team salary in the league. So turning around a struggling team and a, um, a team that doesn't necessarily have a lot of money to spend presents you with a number of problems, right? Because as with all sports, the more money you have, the better team you can build, the more likely you are to, to win shit. So, in step, uh, in steps Billy Bean, which is a fantastic name, played that's by a, Brad. That's Pitt. a Stan Lee character, isn't it? It's <laughs> got the double double letters. Yeah, um, and Bean isn't spelled. It's got an e on the end of it as well. So it's just it's just slightly different enough that um yeah, it, it, it would stick out. But yeah, Billy Bean, played by Brad Pitt, in his quest to essentially turn turn this team around, and the way he does that is to move towards computer-based analytics or sabermetrics over the more traditional sort of eye tests that pro sports typically relied on. Mm. (laughs) So things like pro days, scouting, all that kind of thing. So not only are we taking arguably quite a boring sport, like, and I say this as someone who likes baseball, I've been to five different baseball stadiums in the US. I've been to one. I've been to Fenway I've been to Fenway Fenway's great it's fucking great I've got a lot of time for that stadium actually yeah because it feels like it's about to fall apart but also it oh, feels yeah. extremely iconic at the same uh, I, time I
0: believe I believe what
1: you mean Graham is it has a lot of character <laughs> it, has a, it has a lot of character yeah, so yeah I've, I've, I've done Fenway I've done the San Francisco Giants I've done Los Angeles Angels Tampa Bay Rays and I feel like another one but they're the four I can remember but yeah, I, I enjoy going to baseball. It's it's a good evening out. It's a good... But I think there's something along the lines of like 160-ish games a a team will play a year. So one of the things with baseball is there's there's definitely a, a feeling that the game that you're at ultimately does matter in the grand scheme of things because obviously all your wins and losses add up. But also if you lose one of 160 games, it's like, okay... And that's kind of reflected in as well that it's very easy to get tickets to see baseball. Like regular season baseball. You can pick up you we... can go and get a ticket for like eight dollars. So when when we So
0: it would have been twenty fifteen. So we saw Red Sox, Blue Jays.
1: And it was around weirdly, the, weirdly the Blue Jays is the team I've seen the most as well. Oh. I've seen them twice but i've never seen the blue jays at the blue jays stadium anyway all all i remember is i had a player called batista (laughs) um so the red Sox had ortiz
0: right who was chasing i think like 200 home runs um and he was on like 197 or something like that and you had people in one of the top uh stands with like the numbers and he got a home run and they clocked it down as soon as he got pulled yeah, half the crowd left <laughs> because, like you said, it was twenty dollars a ticket. Yeah, who gives a shit? Like they were there to see him hit the home run record. Yeah. Um, and then when the bars closed, another half of the, uh, half of who was left then yeah. went.
1: Yeah, it's definitely like it's the cricket of American sports, isn't it? It's it goes on for a good three hours. You can grab, you can drink a lot, and you can eat quite a few hot dogs and not miss anything but so you're taking as i say arguably one of the more boring sports and then the movie isn't just about the sport but you're then taking it down another level to focus in on how you pick apart and understand what players you should bring into a team based on computer analytics well, it's basically a film about a
0: formula isn't it you can yeah. boil it down to maths. Yeah, it's someone's looked at a sport and thought, "How can we get maths into this? Let's make a film on it."
1: Yeah, it, exactly that. But it's it, it is genuinely really interesting, and it's also portrayed in a way that you can kind of that's accessible. And I say this as a person who tried to read the book, and my God, I I tried it about three or four it's different a tough times. Read. <laughs> We, yeah, it's just, there's page after page of, like, stats and and just going so deep into so many baseball terms that I don't get. Like, there's, without, I, I know the rules of baseball, but, like, some of the stuff they're talking about is, funny enough, the book written by the same guy that wrote the big short. Oh, really? Yeah, so Michael Lewis wrote this book as well. Oh, I, I, did, I didn't realise that. Yeah, it's just, it is to to take what i a book that i struggled to start like five times into a film that is interesting and entertaining is a, is no mean feat and it's it's funny because they do delve into some of like the the idiocy around like the this is how we do things kind of methods so the these eye tests i.e just kind of understanding of a player looks good there's an example in it where they uh well in the book, uh, one of the scouts advises against taking a player based on the fact that the player's girlfriend is ugly, and therefore he assumed that the player had bad eyesight. <laughs> in the book, oh, sorry, in the movie, it's changed that uh, to say that because he had an ugly girlfriend, it meant that he had no confidence and therefore wasn't um, wasn't worth bringing on the team. Fucking hell! Yeah, yeah, but that's. And actually, quite similar to the Big Short in that it's so obvious the logic behind stuff, right? So the logic in the Big Short that if you if you invest all of this money in bad mortgages, shit is going to go down. In the same thing in Moneyball is that if you look at the stats and you take away all of the subjectivity around, like oh, I think this player looks good, I think that player looks good, you're gonna get better results.
0: But was it the the so he like invented a stat. Right?
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah, I can't remember what. Because it, it
0: it was it was all about getting on base and runs, rather yeah. than um, home runs, hitting power, and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, and it's like walk walk offs as well. Is that some? Is that?
0: Yeah, so they
1: didn't do with it. Usually that was frowned upon, but they saw it as a well, it still counts. So yeah.
0: it's a fascinating film. I've always described it to people as it's a sports movie for people who don't give a shit about sport. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's not, re- it doesn't really focus on baseball. It focuses on kind of the.
1: You don't see a lot of it. you don't see a lot of baseball taking place, do you?
0: <laughs> no, but it, it's baseball to kind of carry on what we were saying before. Like baseball is a sport I have consciously avoided, because I know I would fall deep into all the statistic shit of it. Yeah, well, I think I we- I, I, I struggle to crawl out of an NFL hole sometimes with all the fantasy stuff we talk about. Like with baseball,
1: I I wouldn't have time left in my day people play fantasy baseball and those they these teams are playing like three games you know like no sometimes five games over seven days with like one one day off well
0: um fantasy sports started with baseball yeah
1: so it was the uh the rotisserie
0: chicken league or something there's a great 30 for 30 on it i think called silly little game nice which is all about how um this group of friends started a fantasy league yeah um which is now a billion dollar industry and they got nothing from it
1: because they were uh refused to sell when they should have oh that's that's gonna hurt but yeah i and i've sat i i remember distinctly i think the first game i went to the um at the angel stadium and i was sat behind this um elderly american woman and she had this massive pad on her lap and it basically had like loads of outlines of all of the bases and there were some other things like notation things here and there and after every single pitch there was some annotation she was making and i can only assume that she did this for every game that she mm. went to and it's just like yeah there's there's so much that that goes into it but i think um i think one of the ways that again that they made moneyball interesting similar to big short similar to to lock actually similar to um to uh to whiplash as well is is the cast like you had brad pitt obviously jonah hill and probably jonah hill's best performance i think did he, did he get a oscar win or was it a nomination for it Ooh, that's or a, was it a snub good question i mean you gave me all three options there, and I'm not sure yeah. which it was. What I'm going to do is cut out the two that were wrong. Actually, we've not done this in a while. Future Ian, did uh, yeah. did Jonah Hill um, get anything at the Oscars for his portrayal of his character in Moneyball?
0: Greetings from the future. It is I, Future Ian, from a timeline where I am really into baseball. So I've lost my job, my partner, and generally any resemblance of free time. So Jonah Hill was nominated at the 84th Academy Awards for playing Peter Brand in Moneyball. Uh, Unfortunately, he lost to Christopher Plummer in Beginners. Um, Max von Sydow was also nominated that year, which must have been very confusing for everybody, as well as Nick Nolte in The Massively Underrated Warrior and Kenneth Branagh in My Week with Marilyn. So Peter Brand, played by Jonah Hill, is kind of a fictionalised version of Paul DePosta. So Paul is the guy who actually kind of pioneered all of this sabermetrics, fancy, sporty, math bollocks. So, yeah, turns out films aren't always real, which is a shock to us all. Anyway, I'm going to get back to my uh, future fantasy, future baseball team, and we'll uh, we'll check in later. (laughs)
1: Thanks, Futurian. Ian. That Thanks, was good Ian. for us to confirm. Also, Philip Seymour Hoffman, isn't it as well?
0: Oh fuck, he is, isn't he?
1: Yeah. And I think you kind of the, the and, thing that's uh, interesting. Uh, sorry, uh, the guy
0: from Platoon is one of the <laughs> scouts. Um, is it Berenger?
1: It may well be.
0: Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen Platoon in ages. Continue. Just, I love Platoon. Um, he's the yeah. He's the um, the evil one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, not Willem Dafoe. I believe it is his proper Christian name. I'm also not Willem Dafoe, actually. Ah. Ah, neither am I. That's um, that's, that's the follow up to Where's Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> I, I'm not
1: Willem Dafoe.
0: Find our Kickstarter link at.
1: Yeah, um, we, that might. I don't know if we're gonna hit goal before the end of that Kickstarter, but who knows?
0: Well, it's not about hitting goal; it's about creating runs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Just tying it back to money ball, nice, seamless, seamless, um that's cricket, isn't it with a seam um yeah, you, you kind <laughs> get... of no, there's
0: a there's a seam in baseball is there yeah, it's just a different shape Because that's how you get you you hold onto it and you get like the curveball and shit
1: like that, yes, but, yeah, I'll say yes, I don't know yeah. yes, no, one of yes. those maybe I don't know, can you repeat the question? Sorry, just going into the Malcolm in the Middle soundtrack. Where was I? I was at the part where I was going to say about how invested you get in Billy's career. And um, the fact that this guy is kind of going against the status quo with logic reason that you can completely buy into. And yeah, kind of fucking up this old boys club who, you know, clearly are just... There's a lot of people in scouting and baseball making a lot of money off like really shitty assumptions. Um, and terrible takes on on players similar I would imagine to some of the you know how in our fantasy league there there are there are players who shall remain unnamed who will see a glimpse of an n f l player and become absolutely friggin obsessed with them, mm-hmm. like they are the second coming of Christ based on nothing more than a couple of highlights yeah, people made careers out of this with with baseball
0: scouting my, my, my go-to example with fantasy football is uh there was a pl- i can't even remember who the player was now but i wanted to start him and i was convinced it was the right choice every single ranking i looked at told me i was wrong but i found this article that agreed with me that article i found on like the third page of google yeah like i had to after searching keywords for what i was <laughs> looking for and then i used it as like some kind of like see i am right <laughs> yeah yeah and i don't get paid
1: for that <laughs> but being able to like take you know take logic take data and kind of disrupt that i think is is great and i think you really kind of as i say get invested in it. Um, democratizing sport right
0: yeah which is yeah speaking as a fucking fan of welsh rugby is a league with very little money i always feel quite strongly about it's why i like uh for all the nfl's failings and even though teams are getting around it now, like the salary cap i think is you know you you want people to compete on a level playing field,
1: not just have yeah the rich winning yeah and like it works society it it works because you've got a i mean and this is we're, we're gonna go far too deep into stuff, but like the reason that it works in nFL is because nFL was established as a closed league, and that was kind of they one of the selling points of the European Super League was that oh yeah well you know we can have salary caps and all this thing because people are never going to get relegated but that kind of takes away the essence of football where you've got the massive pyramid of teams etc etc and it would never have worked. But in theory if you went back to the start maybe it would have but we're not at the start anymore. We're in the middle. Hopefully the middle not too close to the end. Football will never end (laughs) it's like the, the the David Mitchell uh, the Mitchell and Webb Yeah, that's exactly
0: what I was thinking about.
1: <laughs> it's the football, um, but yeah. So, and you also get invested in the the A season. You want them to see them succeed. Billy gets tapped up by the Red Sox, and there's there's that whole element to the story as well. But yeah, look, undeniably, it's a really really dry subject in a relatively unsexy sport. Not only that, but you're applying computer algorithms to an unsexy sport. Which is unsexy or unsexy, unsexy squared. Not even Justin Timberlake could bring sexy back to the to uh to, to the levels of unsexy uh, we have. We we
0: finally got to the formula of Moneyball,
1: <laughs> <laughs> un unsexy squared, unsexy squared. It it seems something that would be extremely inaccessible, and the way it's filmed, the way it's acted, makes it a really accessible, really interesting movie.
0: Yeah, I recommend it to a lot of people, and you can see who trusts me in that they watch it because it's impossible. It's impossible to make it sound like a film you should see.
1: Oh yeah, like no, no one should give a shit about it. My
0: final choice, then. So this is a film I've talked about, I think, in passing before, but I'm now going to talk about it in more detail. So, in summer, <laughs> mid summer, um so in 1998 susan orlean released the book the orchid thief so the orchid thief was based on her investigations of the 1994 arrest of a horticulturist called john laroche and a group of seminole native americans in southern florida for poaching rare orchids as a book um it was quite well received but there were also quite a cut lot of cutting reviews so they said like uh there wasn't really enough I
1: thought, to... I thought they were stealing the whole orchid, not taking cuttings.
0: Why? So you, you can't actually cut... Yeah, you can't cut the orchid. You have to take the branches on because they're such a delicate flower, which is kind of what the point is, because it's very difficult to replicate orchid environments and stuff in at home. So the idea is trying to make these orchids, which you could bloom at home and, and not just in a swamp.
1: Much, much like you, orchids are delicate little flowers. I'm a delicate little flower. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um a lot yeah,
0: so um a lot of the reviews said that uh so John LaRoche, who is the orchid poacher, um there wasn't really enough to his story to fill out a whole book. There was a lack of forward motion in the story. Um uh, one reviewer said it wilted under the weight of facts and figures. Uh, because wilted like a plant. But needless to say, uh Hollywood looked at this book about flowers and thought, you know what, that'll make a film. So They hired Charlie Kaufman, so the guy who did Being John Malkovich, to write an adaptation of The Orchid Thief. And he struggled because he didn't really want to do a traditional, he didn't want to force it into a Hollywood movie. So he didn't want to cram it full of things like sex and guns and car chases or characters learning profound lessons or growing or coming to like each other or overcome life obstacles to succeed. He didn't want to do... Or jazz drumming. Or baseball maths. But he didn't... Yeah, he didn't want to make it stereotypical. He wanted to kind of tell, like, a real story. He really struggled with writing. He had really bad writer's block. And eventually, he finished the script and handed it in. The script he handed in was 2002's Adaptation. So Adaptation is... The screenplay of Charlie Kaufman adapting The Orchid Thief. So I'm not saying it is the screenplay of The Orchid Thief. It is the screenplay of a fictionalized Charlie Kaufman who's been told he has to adapt The Orchid Thief into a film. Charlie Kaufman is played by Nicolas Cage. Of course. Who also plays Charlie Kaufman's twin brother, Donald Kaufman. So in essence, Adaptation is the film of him writing adaptation. It got nominated for quite a few awards. So Chris Cooper won Best Supporting Actor. Meryl Streep got nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Um, Nicholas Cage got nominated for Best Actor. And Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman, his twin brother, got nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Donald Kaufman is a fictional character invented by Charlie Kaufman for the movie. Excellent. But he still got nominated for an Oscar. Adaptation is mental. I rewatched it today and it is so weird. There's a scene halfway through where he realizes how the film should begin. And that's the beginning of the film that you've already seen the last scene is him figuring out how to end the film and talking through what's going to happen and the reason it's a boring subject is it's the it's got two layers so it's a boring subject because it's a it's a book on orchid poaching but it's also not just a book on orchid poaching it's a it's about the adaptation of a boring book on orchid poaching like i said a lot of the reviews kind of said that there wasn't really enough story there to turn into a film without kind of serious padding. Um, A lot of the elements of the book are adapted into the film, but then the entire third act is entirely fictional, which is great because if you were the, if you'd written The Orchid Thief, you found out Hollywood had bought the rights to it. They produced a script, you read the script, and you have basically been turned into a fictionalised version of yourself that is prepared to murder someone.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's just like, this isn't what I expected when I wrote a book about flowers. There's a, a lot to unpack. It's a lot to unpack. And I can't stress enough how much I love this film. Uh, it's got Nicolas Cage in twice, which probably explains it, really, now I think about it. Cage squared cage squared but yeah it's just so much it's so weird and it's so fun to watch and kind of like what you said with well i mean all the all the all of the choices today i think share the similarity that they have very strong casts so like i said this received three acting nominations on top of them you have brian cox tilda swinton um maggie gyllenhaal Judy Greer turns up very briefly. I don't think she gets kind of the credit she's warranted a lot. But it really kind of, because it's so weird and so meta, it really holds your attention the whole way through. Even though what
1: it is, is in essence a man struggling to write a script that you're watching. Yeah, I I haven't seen it. It sounds like the levels of meta feel... It wouldn't surprise me if, like, actually it turns out that Nicholas Cage is sat behind you watching it or something just to really add that extra, yeah, extra so that, element.
0: So there's a great bit is there's kind of narration through the whole film of Charlie Kaufman talking through how he's feeling. And halfway through, he goes to a seminar where this guy tells him that only lazy screenwriters do voiceover. A good screenwriter should be able to explain um, how a character's feeling without having to resort to voiceover. Um, And then a little bit later in the film, he goes to voiceover and he's like, oh shit, no, wait, voiceovers are for the lazy. Oh, actually, it doesn't matter. and just keeps going. Nice. Yeah. But like I said, it's two levels of boring. The process of adapting a book is boring. And the book in question is about orchid poaching, which even though there is kind of an interesting legal aspect to it so basically the whole idea was these orchids were in a swamp and it was federal land and it was illegal to take things from it which is why it was poaching but there was a loophole in florida law the seminoles were allowed to take things from federal land and there was a case where one of them shot like an endangered um, i'm not sure what it was like stag or something and they were allowed to Get away with it, basically. So what John LaRoche would do is he would guide them to where these orchids were, and then they would pick them. Right. And that's kind of what the loophole was. Um So as a legal loophole, it's, you know, it's quite interesting, but it, it's flowers. Yeah, I can't and... say I'm
1: interested in poaching flowers. No, I prefer mine fried.
0: Hey, I'm more a scrambled flowers man. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's one of, the, it is one of the films I guide people to when they realise I'm not joking about how much I like Nicolas Cage. Because it, it, both of his performances are very
1: good. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not... Well, I mean, he also gives two, two, uh, two convincing performances in Face Off, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, because jo- John is not actually real.
0: <laughs> um it's all um yeah, it's just all cage. But he's yeah, I, I think this film kind of shows him for what he can be. So there there is kind of the cageism there, but it feels a lot more tethered than it was. Or at least kind of instead of the craziness angled at the world, it's all angled inward toward him. Yeah. But no, strongly recommend it. Uh, again it's a difficult film to sell to people because well like i said it's the screenplay of a it's an adaptation of a man
1: adapting a book he's struggling to adapt i think maybe you need to adapt your pitch um so maybe so so adapt uh, adapt adaptation yeah adapt your adaptation pitch yeah to being a pitch about a man who's trying to pitch a movie about a man who's trying to write a movie about a book that's unfilmable. A
0: book that's adapted from a New Yorker article. There we go. It's a lot of levels of adaptation. And then what I'll do is I will do a version of it where I'm doing all of that. And
1: I will be played by Nicolas Cage. My final choice. Oh, you're right Excuse me. Yeah, you put me to sleep with all your flower talk, you boring bastards. I could have talked
0: about Nicolas Cage
1: for hours as well. (laughs)
0: Um, So, obviously, we know he's a coppola, and that actually really weighed against him in his early part of the career. You done? Obviously, when he came in with Valley Girl, he was speaking with a nasally voice, and his co-star really wanted him to stop, but she didn't have the guts to tell the director because he was a relative.
1: We good? (laughs) You're trying
0: to think of something else, aren't you? No, no, I'm waiting for you to say something substantial so I can interject again. (laughs)
1: So my final and then choice... when he went on to vampires, kiss. sorry, I'm <laughs> Um <laughs> So my final choice is essentially a movie about starting a company in college and the trials and tribulations that come with it. Startups, starting companies, you know, yeah, okay, maybe there's maybe no. It's 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 largely boring. There's you know, thinking about it, you've got lots of applications to do. Um, pay your taxes make sure that you're um well actually yeah and ironically enough pay your taxes at the beginning but certainly not when you yeah. become as established as, as this company gets um, later uh, Graham, on the line. T- taxes are for people <laughs> um, not robots i am of course talking about 2010's the social network written by aaron sorkin directed by david fincher and yeah essentially it, it explores the beginnings of, of facebook from what was an extremely questionable campus hotness rating tool um, into the global powerhouse tech company. That is, not even today, but of 2010, 2009, which is kind of crazy thinking about what's portrayed in the social network 11 years ago now, because Facebook, as it is now, is is a entirely different beast. I mean, it's a massive software company. It has ingested countless smaller tech startups um, and some more established ones whatsapp, instagram etc etc but yeah it's when when you boil it down to it i think it is a movie about starting a company um, and everything that goes along with it there was even a lot of people were expecting this to be a boring movie before it came out so i was reading an article in the atlantic today um, which was written prior to the film's release And it basically said exactly that. Um, And they based it mostly on the fact that... And their words, not mine. That Mark Zuckerberg is a deeply boring man. (laughs) But one thing I think that the movie does really well um, is that it it gives us a villain. It gives us someone to kind of root against. And that villain is Mark Zuckerberg. He, despite how boring he is, he's deeply, deeply unlikable. (laughs) He's emotionally stunted, and he has some extremely questionable morals. And that's just Mark Zuckerberg, because also a lot of the supporting cast aren't much better. <laughs> and talking of the cast, again, similar to everything we've spoken about so far, um, this is packed full of um, some some big names. Obviously, Jesse Eisenberg um, plays Mark Zuckerberg. You've got Andrew Garfield, Rooney Mara, Army Hammer, who plays Twins. Um, Rashida Jones, Dakota Johnson um, and whilst he couldn't bring Sexy back to Moneyball, he did attempt to bring it to social networking um, and Justin Timberlake um, makes an appearance as well. Ah, uh, Crime river. <laughs> hey! Hey. A Justin Timberlake humour. I thought you
0: were going to say it too, because we're usually so in sync. Very
1: nice. Oh, <laughs> uh, and on that note, uh. bye 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 Ian. Oh, um, come on. It was just a dirty pop. <laughs> that sounded really
0: that people talk really... about <laughs> what are we doing in this What's pop. The use live? Of this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just went to talk over you reciting the lyrics, I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> that's that is the end sync stuff I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. Uh I had you down more as a as a Joey Fatone kind of guy than rather than um Justin Timberlake, though
0: no that, that's that's that's
1: a fair assumption
0: uh, but you can fuck right off
1: <laughs> who was the who was the one is it jc chavez that tried to have the solo career and he had that one that one song what was that one song jc chavez i like the um the when people the people ask question on google is what's happened to jc it's yeah. Chavez? it's not chavez it's chez um what was his song All day long I dream about sex.
0: That was him. Yeah.
1: Some girls, bracket, dance with women, close
0: brackets. (laughs) Blowing me up, bracket, with her love,
1: close brackets. Oh, I remember that one as well.
0: Oh my God, all day long I dream about sex. I haven't thought. I preferred when I'd forgotten that was a thing.
1: And it turns out that all of these songs were off his one album. Called schizophrenic, which doesn't seem appropriate but anyway and I think um some some of the interest that comes with this film is I guess that it's a subject matter that is again very close to a lot of people globally since so many use the tool on a on a daily basis are, are you describing Mark Zuckerberg there or uh, Facebook <laughs> uh,
0: was it a was Facebook as contentious a
1: subject when the social network came out uh I don't think it just trying to get my timelines right no because you're a lot of the the really negative like it, it's had some it had some negative press and also there's a lot around like the formation with as i mentioned like it was essentially like this Harvard tool where guys with college guys would go and rate how hot other girls at, at college were but I think a lot more of it has come out in more recent years with the impact on elections and, and things like that because we had the, the recent, I don't know if it was a deposition or some kind of hearing where uh, Mark Zuckerberg was before going to assume Congress and was being questioned about like yes, whether or looked, not he... he looked
0: like an animatronic right? Yeah and
1: yeah. he's uh, he he, lo- and yeah, proper like deer in the headlights moment answering questions about why Facebook was um, publishing stories that were clearly untrue and misleading, etc. So yeah, I don't think it was in quite as bad shape then, but uh, yeah, because I mean, two thousand and ten. So actually, Facebook had been around what since two thousand and five, two thousand six, I think. It sort of went off of the the Harvard. Um, I certainly, when I was on Facebook, joined in two thousand six when I went to university. Yeah, sorry, I um,
0: I got distracted there by <laughs> learning it was written by Aaron Sorkin. Oh
1: well, you could have you could have learned it was written by Aaron Sorkin at the top of this when I said this was written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by David Fincher.
0: Yeah, no, the the Aaron Sorkin thing oh, didn't quite. Hit that! It was Aaron Sorkin who also yeah. wrote Moneyball. Oh, did he? I didn't realize. he <laughs> Yeah, wrote no, I, that's that's where the, uh, the <laughs> str- I always, I, every single time, I have that with Aaron Sorkin because I really like him as a writer, but I always forget the stuff he did. He wrote The Rock. Yeah, he was uncredited on The Rock and Enemy of the State,
1: but he also does like it. He's, I guess, he's kind of quite good at tackling some of these more boring things because, like. I know politics and stuff, there's a level of interest, but like just the daily workings of the West Wing. Like is quite a dry subject to make into something particularly interesting. And he also did I don't know if you ever watched it, one of my favourite series actually that got cancelled after one season was um Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip. So I haven't. I saw the I love the newsroom, but I haven't seen Studio Sixty. Yeah, so Studio Sixty was it was essentially like it was like An equivalent of Saturday Night Live, but it was just all of the the behind-the-scenes stuff, and like the writers' room, all of the stuff between the characters, etc., etc. But yeah, that was that was great. And again, arguably, like you know, backstage at a TV show is a is a fairly um, a fairly dry subject to try and turn something. But he, I guess, he is he's particularly adept at, at taking anything and making it into a good movie because, as you say, he's a great writer.
0: Well, yeah, he's um, uh, he's insane. I apologise, Graham, for no worries, ig- uh, mis mishearing or not registering his name at the top. I I do apologise. That's fine. I'm used to you ignoring me. What was that? Hey. I... A...
1: But yeah, I mean, I think it is. It's um, it surprised me that I enjoyed the movie as well because I really. You're I a Myspace man. I don't like Jesse Eisenberg. Oh God, yeah.
0: He's. Yeah, I I don't know what it is about him. I just don't,
1: I just don't like it. Which probably is why he played Mark Zuckerberg really well.
0: <laughs> yeah, but that that same energy should have come into Lex Luthor, and he, shit yeah, is
1: like, uh, This that is a there's a subject for a different day. But I do not understand why he was ever picked to to play Lex Luthor. But there we go. You could accidentally cast a better person. Yeah. I'm a more convincing Lex Luthor.
0: Michael Cera would have been a better Lex Luthor. (laughs) I'd have loved to watch that. Oh, I'd I'd watch the shit out of that. (laughs) Would you rather see Michael Cera as Lex Luthor or Michael Cera as Batman?
1: Oh, definitely Batman. Without a doubt, Batman. Just hapless Batman. Just like, Like, yeah, just...
0: Instead of depressive and stoic, just... Just slightly sad and awkward. Yeah, and just with no confidence in himself whatsoever. No. And his cape wouldn't f- like flap; it would just like hang on the floor.
1: Yeah. Ah, oh, good times. That's obviously yeah. where a social network conversation was going to go to. Michael Cera playing Batman. But- well, and you know his Batmobile would be the, the chair, the stairlift um, from from Arrested Development, just painted black. <laughs> yeah. The money
0: is in the bat banana stand. Um, I have never actually seen the Social Network.
1: Uh, it's it is, it's a
0: good film. I I know it was on a lot of like movies of the twenty first century, movies of the decade list, and things like that. But I don't want to watch two hours of Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, that's legitimately and... the re- the thing that's put me off. Is everyone else in the cast brilliant? Um, Army Hammer, outstanding, obviously. Two Army uh, Hammers. Oh, two Army. Oh, of course he goes Nicolas Cage in it, doesn't he? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's
1: just put me off. And I, to be fair, I was the same, but I can't remember. I think I was ill and um, it was like it was on TV whilst I was at home and I was just like, yeah, sort it, I'll give it a go. And it actually, it is a very good film. And yeah, as I say, essentially about the f- starting a company, which is not the most interesting of subjects.
0: Yeah, um, if, if anything, it would have been more an interesting subject
1: if they'd done the film now, you'd assume yeah i mean there's 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 a lot more to talk about but i guess they didn't necessarily know that back in 2010 that facebook was going to meddle in a bunch of um elections and cause global meltdowns it is nuts the stuff that like is okay to be published on facebook but that's again a conversation we don't have time for oh god i mean we've even without facebook like
0: the I mentioned to you in a pub that I'm probably going to have to buy a new boiler and your Instagram starts showing you boiler adverts. Yeah. Like it, it's it it is creepy, it's weird, but I'll only be annoyed when the adverts aren't specifically aimed at me. Like the I'm completely fine with ads popping up that I appreciate, like if they randomly start shifting Nicolas Cage merch at me or something. The ones I don't like are Oh, you don't have Facebook, so you don't have the joy of Wish.
1: Oh, no, I get Wish adverts get on, wish. Um, on Instagram. Yeah,
0: yeah. Fuck me. Those are the funniest things ever. One of them, um, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before. I've definitely mentioned it to you, but it tried to sell me or it advertised to me, like, you know those pillows you get that are shaped like someone and you hug them? <laughs> yep. It was that, but it was shaped like a pig cadaver. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I do remember you saying this. Yeah,
0: it was like, this is weird. Part of me wanted to buy the, the pig cadaver hugging cushion so I could
1: present it to somebody as a joke present. So I think I shared this with you. This is the weirdest advert I've ever got on Instagram, and I have no idea why, and I don't want to know why. But this is an advert for... This isn't going to show up. So do you remember the game Flappy Birds? Yes. So essentially this is an app Where you play Flappy Bird But rather than with your thumb You play it with a device that is uh, Designed to train your pelvic floor uh,
0: Okay <laughs> Yeah That was So Graham, Graham is uh, holding his phone up to the webcam And as he said that <laughs> It just Perfectly went into focus yeah. For a while it just looked like a spot fly- a spotlight And then boom Sex toy,
1: like what? It's called number peri-
0: one. Is that number one for at-home pelvic floor training? Yeah, Perry, fuck me, that is crazy. But obviously,
1: I was always more a fan of Doodle Jump.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so there we go, six good films about boring subjects.
0: I'm trying to try. I've been trying to think of how I would rank mine, and it's a tough one because I think after each. <laughs> Each section, I'd had a different top three, <laughs> but I think for mine, um, to, to really, to really go for kind of like hone in on the definition of what we're going for, so exciting films about boring things. I think the least boring thing I'm going to go for Whiplash. I can underst- i I can understand why it would be. You know, in the end, I do like listening to jazz, even if I'm not the idea of watching someone learn drumming doesn't massively appeal to me i'd then go adaptation so a movie about the process of adapting a book that might not be fit for adaptation is dull and then number one
1: driving the inoptimal route to london from birmingham so it has to be lock i think makes sense i would go uh, using the same logic probably social Networking in third place because whilst the essence of it is, is the founding of a company. There is elements of the the fact that it is such a big company that takes part in and over so many lives. Um, is is, you know, arguably slightly interesting. Yeah,
0: the, the the process of founding a company
1: is kind of boring. The story of Facebook,
0: is a bit more relevant, I guess.
1: Yeah, second place I would give to The Big Short. I think they did a very good job of taking something very dry and sexing it up and making it interesting and accessible, but I think Moneyball has to take number one because it is a book about algorithm a a movie made from a book about algorithms and statistics based on a sport that is not you know like you say most people leave when the bars shut, so yeah. I think that's I think that's my uh my top three in order. So then, obviously,
0: the age-old question of what is more boring: a mathematical algorithm
1: based at getting runs in baseball, or pouring concrete. <laughs> I think they're probably equally boring. So I wonder if we need to think of between the two what's the most exciting movie of of the too boring subject. Well, that's
0: a tough one. That depends on your definition of exciting <laughs> because exciting I don't think is a word to describe
1: Locke. Captivating, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I suppose at least with Moneyball you have the sort of the excitement of um, the season of Billy's. You have the you,
0: you have the traditional sports movie arc. Yeah even if you're approaching it from the level of accountancy.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, I think that's fair. So I, I am happy with Moneyball number one. Um, we'll go lock number two, which is, which, is, which is nice. And then are we going... So we have the choice between jazz drumming, banking, adapting a book about flowers or Facebook.
1: Yeah, I mean, the one that really sticks out for me is... Well, the two that stick out for me are The Big Short and Whiplash, actually. of of everything that we've spoken about the big short because i think they just do such a good job of as i said like the the little kind of set pieces that they drop in to explain the really dry subjects i think it's just such a clever way of doing it and um it's 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 a conscious recognition of how boring the subject is yeah absolutely that and then from from the whiplash side is just like even the good stuff in it is really long and boring, but the I guess the perf- the there's an intensity to it that is where I guess the if we talk about like the the boring subject but exciting portrayal comes in because I think that like J.K. Simmons is that he is intensity personified.
0: Right? Well, the, the 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 excitement is from tension of not knowing who's gonna break. I guess yeah. <laughs> Other than. All of the skin on Miles Teller's hands. Yeah, yeah, and the symbol that gets thrown along the room. <laughs> um either way, I'm I'm watching I think a lot of these films over the next couple of days. Okay, no, that that that's fine. I will I can I can concede adaptation because I do think it we, we kinda of, we kind of touched on it a bit with Moneyball in a part that I probably cut out of the episode, but Adaptation is an impossible film to describe to people. <laughs> in the same way that Moneyball is, it is very difficult to describe Moneyball in a way that would make somebody want to watch the film. Yeah. So I would, yeah, I, I'm I'm happy to take adaptation out of the running, um, but you have to watch it within the next week.
1: Okay. Deals. Yep. yep. Deal. Right.
0: So jazz drumming or uh, banking crisis. It's a tough one. Um, I don't want to. Uh, i don't know it's a tough no I, I i i'd be happy to go the big short just because if if we're going to take a tiebreaker yeah the film
1: realizing it's boring is a good tiebreaker to go for yeah and also if you take if you boil down between if you ask if you surveyed a hundred people and say what's more boring musical banking you're probably gonna say banking is more boring oh yeah true but if you also if you interviewed 100 people said
0: what what's more boring a global crisis or jazz i mean see i can play this game too graham (laughs) but stop selling when you've sold um but yeah no i I, i'm happy to go the big short again the most the most memorable bits of the big short is them realizing how boring the subject is and having to come up with an inventive and exciting way to talk about it Yep. So before we go into... Oh, I'll, I'll bring back the voice. Uh, before we go into the sum up and the social uh, media section... Um... I would just like to point out that during the recording of this episode, Graham sent me a screenshot of all the things Dwayne Wade has done in his career. Um, I'm a deeply stupid man. Uh, I'm not very aware of things out of a very small bubble that involves mainly myself drinking rugby and specifically the people on my fantasy football team. Um, and that's kind of it. Um, would, so would, I, apo- would you I apologize like to,
1: um, Would you like to share with the class some of, um, some of Dwayne Wade's career highlights?
0: So, Dwayne Wade, who um, I, I, I wrote off, <laughs> um, I'll actually, you know what, I'll put back in the quote. So, Dwayne Wade, who I said this about, oh, and Dwayne Wade, obviously, Dwayne Wade, whoever Dwayne Wade is, has three NBA championships. He was an NBA Finals MVP, a 13 NBA All-Star, two times All-NBA First Team. He was the NBA Scoring Champion in 2009. The Miami Heat, who I'm obviously a deep, deep fan of, (laughs) retired his number. Yeah. So, um, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do a a basketball-themed episode at some point. I don't know, just me. Like the Dwayne Wade apology episode. (laughs) But So, the podcast Nobody Asks For is top three exciting films about boring things. We have number three, the uh, banking crisis in The Big Short. We have number two, the inoptable route from Birmingham to London in Locke. And number one, we have mathematics and baseball with (laughs) Moneyball. So, if you agree with us, if you think there are more exciting films about more boring things, you can reach us on Instagram at the podcast nobody asked for, and you can also find us on Kofi, and you can buy us a coffee, and all that money will go towards making the podcast bigger and better and more exciting and less boring.
1: Which is exactly what we want and need. Um, if you want to. Um ask us about how maybe you can take out some um, short options against the podcast Nobody asks For and and make some great profits when we fall into an inevitable um, podcast crisis, hit us up on Twitter at pod with the number four. And much like, you know, just because we need to bow to our Facebook overlords and keep Mark Zuckerberg... Zuckerberg? Zuckerberg? Needs to keep Mark Zuckerberg happy. (laughs) Jesse Eisenberg. Because we need to keep Jesse Eisenberg happy... Um, You can also find us on Facebook at Nobody Else For Pod with the number four.
0: And because not everything is about Mark Zuckerberg, sometimes it's about Steve Jobs, you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcast and in your review put any episode ideas you have and we will do the best
1: ones. Sorry, I think you mean Ashton Kutcher.
0: Actually, I meant Michael Fassbender because two Steve Jobs movies. Just in case nobody got that random riffing we did on two films we hadn't mentioned (laughs) during the entire episode it's it's why the people come in it's why they come for that and my deep and detailed miami heat knowledge
2: no one asked for this